0: So please help me welcome Tara Jepsen and Michelle T. Hi, you guys. Um, um, I'm Michelle. This is Tara Jepson, the author of Like a Dog. Yes. This is a wonderful novel. It is an novel. Um, and I, um, I remember, because me and Tara are friends, um, I remember when she first said she was going to write this novel, and um, and then she wrote it. Photo.
1: You what? Andrea was taking a photo, so uh, I was trying to, to look, look really like.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> is, do you, is it good? It's good. Um, and, and it was such a great book, and I just remembered it. And, um, and then me and Tara had a big fight, and we talked for like a year. It and a it was so sad. And then course. and I just kept thinking I was trying to get a publishing imprint going with this press, and I was like, really wanted to publish it even though we weren't friends because it was such a good book. And, um, and I was like, maybe that'll be awkward. But then it didn't happen anyway because it was a gay publisher and so they went under like all gay publishers do. And then, um, and then when this happened, this uh, thing with City Lights and Sister Spit, it was immediately one of the books that I wanted to do because it's so great. And I was like, hey, Tara, we're friends again forever. Um, and I was like, do you still have that book? Like, Could I publish it? And, um, and now it's in the world. It's so exciting. I have so many questions to ask her, and you will too, before she's going to read a piece of it right now.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Oh, Tara. Is this the least culturally inappropriate outfit you've ever seen on a (laughs) middle class white woman. This is it. This is the zenith of what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) Um, Hi guys. Swim team friends. Okay. Um, So I'm going to start in this part. So um, my main character Paloma is up in Arcata, California and she and her brother are up there and... Her brother is doing some weird stuff, but they go to a bar one night called The Dong Show. And then, uh, how, much, how much does a person really need to know? Essentially, they're... So this guy, Oscar, takes them on a drive in his car, and she can't really tell if it's going to be... Um, it feels wrong to her. She can't tell what's going on, but it doesn't feel quite right to her. Okay. We're in Oscar's car, which is an old Chevy Cavalier. I like to say Cavalier. (laughs) That's what they would say in Montreal. Okay. It's an old Chevy Cavalier, grayish blue. There's dog hair everywhere. I sit in the back and stare out the window, watching lights fly by, and then just deep country darkness, stars. My feet are planted in a footwell sea of empty paper cups and plastic soda bottles. You know, I'm afraid of reading too long, is a... You you won't. Okay. Um, Nicely done. Okay. We drive for what must be at least half an hour. I check into the conversation in the front seat when I hear Peter say, where are you going? And I realize that being in the country doesn't make sense with going to a bar. There are no lights or stores or houses. Going to get gas at that cheap place out here. Really? Peter says. Yeah, it's a dollar less per gallon than the places in town, he says, and chuckles to himself. I want to say something that makes everything normal, but I'm scared. I can't figure out a logical reaction because the feeling of drunkenness keeps washing over me. We come up to a gas station and Oscar pulls off the road. There is a low cement wall that is painted with an ocean scene, a big dolphin at the center. Oscar rolls up to a gas pump and does not turn off the car. He looks straight ahead and says, how much money do you have? I don't know, Peter says and meets Oscar's gaze Give me your fucking wallet and your phone Oscar is utterly impassive Pete doesn't do anything but stare at Oscar Don't make this fucking ugly dude Don't make me do something that's going to suck in front of your sister Give me your goddamn wallet and phone Peter pulls out the beat up leather wallet my dad gave him for Christmas years ago and throws it into Oscar's lap Oscar opens it up and looks at the bills Peter reluctantly hands over his phone too His phone, too. $43, huh? You're rich. Here, go get me a Twix. Oscar throws $2 at my brother. Peter opens his door and gets out of the car, so I do, too. I walk next to him, and we go into the mini-mart, and sure enough, we hear Oscar drive away. Dude, Peter says with deep seriousness. I don't say anything because I'm experiencing an internal refusal to connect with reality. We're screwed, he says, and a long smile stretches across his face. That's a fucking long walk. Do you have your phone? I check and find that I left my phone at the motel. We both start laughing and then we can't stop. Everything seems hilarious. Being abandoned, the bright lights, the rows of candy, the beef jerky, the lighters and the antifreeze, the half-obscured issues of jugs. By the time we pay, we both have tears rolling down our cheeks from laughter. We buy a lot of candy with my money. My pockets are lumpy and misshapen with crappy chocolate, and when we step out into the night, it is just us and a walk to town. Why exactly did we get ditched? Well, I guess he chose the anger option over the getting our business back option. Oh, yeah, because they kind of... They went up to work in this trim room in, um, in town, and... Um, hi. And... Uh, And um, So they went up there to work in this trim room and this guy, Oscar, supplied them with all the plants that they're growing with, but then he kind of gets pushed out of the business. so He's burned. All right. Um, We walk along the road, two lanes of asphalt and no lights. The shadows are dark and wet off to the side, surrounded by trees, and light from a half-moon falls on the road in front of us. I link arms with Peter and we walk that way for a long time, taking in the darkness and merging with the silence. Pete? Yeah. Should I be worried that you're not, like, sober anymore? He's quiet for a moment. I got this. Don't worry about me. Okay, I say, even though I strongly suspect it is not. We walk for an hour and a half, and I'm guessing we see... We're walking for an hour and a half, I'm guessing, and we see a bright sign ahead. It says, liquor. I have exactly $14 left, so we have to make this count. We pick out a couple of Pabst tall boys, and I pay the dude at the counter. How far are we from town, Peter asks. Which one, the guy asks. Ukiah. Oh, about 16 miles. Fuck. I burp involuntarily. I kind of hope it will make the guy smile, but he is impervious to my body's jokes. (laughs) A guy behind us in line, maybe 25 years old, with a backwards baseball hat, asks, you having car trouble? We're walking, and it's way further than we thought, I say. I can take you to town if you want. Promise I won't kill you. Fortunately, he has the right audience for this joke. We ride with the guy, whose name is Terrence, into town. It's such a relief to have the help, I could cry, but instead I drink my tall boy in the back seat and watch the darkness pulse outside. Peter and I finally arrive at our motel. The parking lot in front of my room is dark, and the pavement is wet. When I reach into my pocket for my key, it's just not there, which is no surprise. I walk over to the office to see if I can get another. The glass door is propped open, and when I walk in, there's an old guy with white hair and beard and mustache pacing the room and smoking. He wears glasses with thin metal frames, a serial killer vibe, like so many white guys. From the smell of things, I gather he's been lighting one cigarette off the other for hours, maybe his whole life. The lobby is various shades of taupe. There is a dusty, bre- dusty basket of fake flowers on the counter next to a bell. A lot A large painting of a little girl walking a schnauzer down a cobblestone street is on the wall. I like imagining them picking it out at a flea market. Hey, I lost the key to my room. Can I get another? Without a word, he hands another key over. I grab it and run out like I robbed him. I pretend he's chasing me all the way back to my room. Peter stands waiting for me. Weirdo, he says. When we're inside, Peter cracks open two beers for each of us. I start pulling my pants down on the way to the bathroom and walk in with my jeans around my ankles, underwear sagging on my butt, and leave the door open while I pee for what seems like ten minutes. Hold my calls, I yell and sip my beer. In at the top, out at the bottom. I lay my head on my knees and wait. I look at the little tiles on the floor. I see the shape of a lion's head, a dumb daisy, a UFO, a cake stand. When I walk out, Peter hands me another beer, even though the two I have aren't finished. Let's go swim in that pool, he says. The pool fence is locked with a big chain, so we start climbing over it, each of us holding three beers. I'm really proud of our gusto. I tuck two of my cans in the back of my jeans, one in each pocket. Good thing I'm wearing the hugest pair of crappy corduroys known to man. As I climb, the open beer sloshes onto the butt of my jeans and soaks all the way through to my skin. The cool air grazes my face... The cool air grazes my warm face softly like a liquid. A liquid soft lady hand. A long <laughs> Lady model hand, slathered in Jean Nettier, loves baby soft. The night sky is full of stars visible even over the bright light of of the motel sign. By the side of the pool, Peter and I strip down to our underwear. We enter the water carefully, using the stairs so we can swim with our beer. I drift around the pool blissfully. I use one hand to paw at the warm water and I hold the other in the air to keep my drink aloft, a sloppy side stroke. I love the bluish light on my brother's face. His is such a complicated heartache. I love the quiet if I don't concentrate or clamp down on my brain for any reason I can feel like right now is beautiful and perfect one thing that I do but don't want is to one thing that I do but don't want to do is heavily psychoanalyze about how Peter ended up this sad angry donkey drug addict there were plenty of betrayals from our young parents and there was violence in the house and all that stuff you hear people pointing to when they are trying to describe why they are a certain way picking someone apart is a stupid distraction and I'm not sure Freudian psychology has all the answers why does the effort to understand each other somehow preclude an acceptance of complexity how can you be shitty and great at one time how can you love me and still steal my money all right I'm done I already feel gross trying to articulate this stuff after two beers I start to feel faint and weird my mind goes fuzzy and I let myself drop down to the bottom of the pool sinking and sinking while water fills my mouth I feel so weightless that I become disoriented and I can't get to the surface. I keep reaching and trying to maneuver, but nothing feels right. The noiselessness of water swaddles me. I dated a girl very crazy who says she always wished that she was, the sh- she was a shark because it's so peaceful underwater. What was the mental soundtrack to her waking life? I imagine nonstop subway breaks in her ears. As I sink everywhere I look, I see the same shade of blue, a jet, air sky wall, chlorine, California dream, down to sleep at night. I let go and wait for the bottom to catch me. There is a tunnel of relief, feeling the bottom catch you. Suddenly I'm pulled up by my shirt and Peter drags me to the side of the pool. I grab onto the concrete edge and gasp while I wait for my head to clear. Peter watches me wordlessly and drinks his beer. My face hurts from coughing. Big repulsive veins in my face are all I feel with a tree trunk of snake belly throat. Don't do that, Peter says. Don't drown. Eventually our teeth chatter and we go back to our respective rooms for hot showers. It takes superhuman strength to remove my clothes and get in the shower. My body. I feel like a pair of nylons filled with old shoes. (laughs) I try not to look at myself in the mirror usually, which is probably sad or not self-loving somehow. If I look, I'll start picking myself apart and finding things to feel bad about so it's easier not to start. When I climb into my bed with my hot skin, I run my feet all over the cool coarse cotton and it feels so good. My head spins. I turn on the TV where there are more forensic files. I guess as long as women are being murdered by their boyfriends, they will keep making shows. (laughs) I watch for a few minutes, then roll over on my face and drop out. I sleep deep drunk sleep until five in the morning when I wake up and can't fall back in. I try but can't because the booze is worn off and nausea and shame churn in my guts. I'm naked.
0: Oh my God, no. It was great. It was so great. Thank you for listening. I know it's a lot to listen to a lot of words in a room. I think everyone here can handle it. They may even come especially for it. You guys, there's some, so minute. many seats up here. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid. Down. You won't get splashed if you sit in the front row. No <laughs> one's
1: smashing any watermelon. No, tonight. no,
0: not tonight. Another night, yes. Um, that was one. so. That was so great. Um, Hi. I Chicago. love your writing so much, and I Thank love you. how you um get really deep and like super, super thinky and intellectual, and then it's like almost this like gleeful, like, fart joke type of humor that you just kind of, like, skid out of it? And do you know that you're doing that? Like, do you feel like when you're writing that you're trying to achieve a deliberate balance between sort of being really heady and intellectual and being really sort of, like, almost slapsticky and physical with your language?
1: I think that it's the the drive that I have. I think those are the two things that I love most. I like really dark, messed-up stuff, and I love to to Josh about. <laughs> and so I think that that's at this point the way that like my the my internal monologue goes the way that the rhythm of my life goes like Yeah. 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 So I I am aware of it. And when I was writing this, I really wanted to write stuff that was rooted in the body. Like I kept thinking about how in because part of this story takes place, skateboarding, and because I skateboard, I thought a lot about, like, how do I write from the experience of a body? Because I will sort of naturally default to, like, intellectualizing about shit and, and like, giving my great ideas about everything. But how do I describe an experience from being in a, in a body?
0: I wanted to ask you about that, too, about because there's so much skateboarding, and you write about it in such a great way, and it is so phys- its so completely a physical experience, and mm-hmm. just being your friend. Oh, am I breaking this? <laughs> yes, I, I feel myself breaking it. Just being your friend and knowing, practical. knowing you, um, I know that that the physicality of skateboarding is such like a relief for for you, yeah, and it operates yeah. like that. So, w- did you have any tricks, or like, what was the process like for you to try to talk about skateboarding in a way that like? kept it embodied but like Mm -hmm. brought it into a a narrative I wanted to let the at some point like letting my
1: thoughts just kind of spaz out and not over editing that because a lot of times I found even when doing like when we were doing readings in San Francisco I would get this feedback that when I spoke extemporaneously that there was like something that came out when I wasn't overthinking. So I tried to put, like, put in as many of those like lesser examined, mom- examined moments as I could in there, but then I also was like, but if truth is actually your body and the way that your body moves much more than the words that you say, how do I write a story that is a description of a, of a of body's behavior, of the, the nature of how, how you use your limbs, how you use your body? Mm-hmm.
0: That so makes sense. Yeah, totally. Kind of, okay, yes, yes. Yeah. And Tara is is sort of famous for the way that she sort of like interrupts herself while she's doing readings and like ends up going on strange tangents that have nothing to do with the book, and then comes back to. I the try book, not and... to do that too much. This when I was just reading now because it was so. Long. It's great. It's so great, and I love that you know that about yourself, and actually worked to incorporate that into the novel. Jenny
1: Joseph was it in San Francisco who used to run this um, open mic. Um, Poetry Above Paradise. I don't even like her that much. But she did say one time <laughs> that, she was, that she was like, you know, these things that seem to um, come to your mind uh, are, are really good. They're good additions. You just try to fold them into your writing. So that's what I was trying to do is just be like, oh, don't check those things and be like, oh, that's just the weird fucking around I do on the side. But be like, maybe that is part of my true voice or like my narrative.
0: And then you crafted a narrator that does that. So you gave yeah. yourself all that space. And I think also by making her an aspiring comedian you get you kind of created this pocket in the book for you to put all of these kind of things it works so great oh i'm so yeah glad. Yeah, yeah um i wanted to ask you cuz i know you started working on you started writing this book a while ago and the first version of it was really different than this version yeah, and yeah. i wanted to ask you i mean in all in, in the time in between um you've changed, the world's changed, you know, and so like how, what, how did you approach the book again when you knew it was Mm -hmm. going to be published and like, like what was your intention when you sat back down with it?
1: So my relationship with my brother is a central thread to this book. And so when I wrote about that the first time over 10 years ago, I had a certain perspective on that, and then when Michelle texted me, it was like 11.30 on a Friday. It was so, like, I really remember that moment, because I had put, after my publisher went under, I was like, that's it. Book's gone. That's it. It's not gonna happen. You know, like, in my very, like, fatalistic way. I was like, I gave it one chance, and it didn't work, and that's that. And, so when I took the book back out, I just didn't relate to it. And I was, and I kept thinking about, if I read this out, I'm, I'm not gonna feel like myself. I'm gonna feel embarrassed. I'm gonna feel... Like, I want to show everyone that I've grown. Not that anyone gives a fuck, but to me it was going to be uncomfortable to read a book that embodied an earlier perspective. Mm-hmm. So I rewrote the whole thing and sent it to her, and she was like, so that's not the, the book we talked about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do a ton more rewriting, but it was totally worth it. It was totally worth it because now I feel I relate to the book. It makes sense to me, and I can read it out and be like, that's the book I meant to write. That's yeah. the, I don't care if I don't relate to it in 10 years. That's the book I meant to write. That's the book that's published now. And it can stand as it is. And it's so cool because it's the same character.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's almost like yeah, yeah. You know, Paloma X amount of years later. like yes. The continued adventures of Paloma. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, I wanted to ask you also about... Um, I really like and was just thinking a lot about the way that you write about addiction in the book and the way that you capture Peter's addiction and also the way that Paloma seems to have possibly her own addiction that's not really addressed and I feel like you are a person in the world that I know has... You're like savvy about addiction kind of stuff. Like I feel like you get it to me and you crafted these characters who sort of are ignorant of their own... And I just wondered about like what was that like? It was like you weren't really inserting your own knowledge, necessarily, of addiction into it, you allowed these people to, like, not know as much as you do, and I wondered if that was tricky.
1: Yeah, it was, because there's a lot of time that I wanted to do the thing where you reassure the reader like don't worry uh, there's a smarter person I'm like no one needs to know what i think about this it doesn't matter what i think about this it's more interesting if you hear the character speaking from where they're at and if you can write from an addict's standpoint with compassion and and be like it's so i do not like that fly and i find it very hey, this rude this fly is making me it's insane out in this area. it's terrible
0: Ooh. yeah yeah um <laughs>
1: But, but I, I feel like very literary
0: like, fly. <laughs> um,
1: I I I feel like that it was nice to not narrate that. It kind of bothers me sometimes when people write and you know that they just want to show you that there's a smarter person behind it all. And the same <laughs> thing with, like, acting or whatever. It, it just seems so discompassionate to think that you have to be so wise. You don't, have to be a, you don't have to be a fucking wise person. Like, no one needs to be a spiritual leader. That makes me crazy. That's, a, like, there's enough spiritual leaders in the world. You can just be a
0: regular messed up person. <laughs> You know what I mean? Target. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. If someone's if someone's live tweeting this, please yeah. tweet that because that's really great. I have a white
1: friend that recently took up Buddhism and it's very frustrating because it's just like she can't be messed up. She hasn't she can't she always has to just like be like that's just the person in their process. You know when I'll say like that's annoying she'll be like that's just where they're at. Like I'm fucking care. I know that that's where they're at. I'm reflecting <laughs> that I don't enjoy where they're at right now. I don't it's okay to not like that. I don't need to be evolved in some weird way that is just fake anyway because I'm just performing a thing of being all I'm smart enough to know that they in their (laughs) process. Who cares? You know what I mean? Be annoyed by something. God damn it.
0: Yes. (laughs) So. Um, Why did you decide to, because there is so much stuff that's personal to you and Paloma is so many like shades of you. um, Why did you choose to do a novel instead of a memoir? Did you make a conscious Um, decision around that or? Yes.
1: I think originally that I did. I think that um, it maybe made it a little less emotional to write about my brother if it wasn't exactly my story, if I wasn't beholden to that. And also whenever I try to write um, something like in a more memory way or as it happened, then I'll get obsessed with like, but is that exactly how it felt? And then like later I'll look at it and be like, that wasn't right, you know, and this was right. And so it felt easier to fictionalize it. And also I felt like it made a little gentler on my family. Like I would rather not have something that was just like horrific for my, uh, mom. I'm sure my dad will never read it. He'll be like, I'm absolutely positive that he thinks that I maybe maybe wrote like a pamphlet in my bathroom. He's, he always has like a very just like I know she does stuff, but I don't know if other people like. I think he suspects that maybe the world thinks that I'm kind of a sad person, or so you know that he's like I don't know. If she succeeds much, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't know that it'll ever hurt his feelings. But I'm so I very largely thought of my mom, and I was like, I'd rather not put my mom mother through uh, reliving this whole thing with her child. There are other things that I've absolutely put her through and and I'm sure I will to the day I die. But this was not one of those things.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. You
1: know? Totally. Yeah. There's other shit like, that I'll say, that I'll keep between us that's difficult, but not this. Yeah. Do you want to read a little bit more from you guys, your book,
0: please? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. There are seats up here, you guys, and you can sit and, Five uh, of them, and there's no—it's—it's it's a no splash. Yeah,
1: time. hi, Betsy. Um, yeah, hi. good.
0: Okay. okay, yes,
1: You guys, that makes three motherfucking seats. Okay. Um. Okay. So, at some point now, she's been brought into the trim business, and. Her role there is that she's a, she deals, she brings weed to celebrities. So she does like pot shows, <laughs> brings like suitcases full of different kinds of weed and pretty little jars. And then she goes to a high end hotel and like sets up displays, and people can come to her room and she tells them what each of them does. And, and like, you know, so she's a broker. Um, My hotel, the Moo, is nuts. You walk in and the entry room is like the library of a trophy hunter. Wait, no. Oh my god, that's the grossest, those those are the worst people. Like someone who's rich but also an outdoorsman. There are geodes on the shelves. There's a basket with glass balls, some thick volumes of literature, canonical man shit like War and Peace. There are little ship sculptures and more ephemera that's random but still cohesive and classy. The shelves are wood. The couches are leather. There's a clear glass pitcher of water with cucumbers and lemons in it and tumblers next to it. It's not even plastic cups. This joint must cost thousands per night, not even for the fanciest rooms. Rigo had the people who are bringing me here book the room. I'm on the west side of Los Angeles apparently. Everyone I've run into looks fancy. I feel self-conscious about my finger tattoos. <laughs> my room is vast and I have two queen beds. There's a separate room with a lounge area and TV. What if I spent every last time I had staying here, and then the day I left, I had no plan of what to do with the rest of my life. That would be dark. I bet some people do it. They don't let themselves think about the giant anvil hanging over their heads. I'm seeing the lady tonight and the guy tomorrow. I unzip my big wheelie bag and take out all my samples. I bought pretty aqua bell, blue bell bars to hold the buds and then these other vintage Pyrex containers for the edibles. It looks beautiful. I have a batik cloth and some candles, though I'm concerned the candles push it over into feeling contrived, like I'm an Avon lady. But I do think most people like a show and a world to immerse themselves in, so I light the damn candles. I receive a text that Embers... Embers is a folk star. (laughs) I receive a text that Embers is on her way to my room. I've been instructed not to ask anything about her personal or professional life unless she brings it up. I faxed a signed NDA to her lawyer. Honestly, what do I care about a 25-year-old folk musician? It's a little self-important of them to think that I even know who she is, much less I'm dying to Barbara Walters her face off. How about (laughs) my writer says she can't ask about me? (laughs) <laughs> what if I simply find it intolerable to be questioned by an ambitious musician I never agreed to think anyone was better than me just because they're famous and frankly I resent having any conversation predicated on that idea there is a single firm knock at my door my posture is pretty good isn't it I to feel that I'm sitting in a certain way okay um <laughs> There's a single firm knock at my door. I get up and pull it open just a crack, like I'm not sure who's there. Upon seeing an enormous bodyguard whose physical person is like a pickup truck turned on end, I open the door wider. Good evening, sir, I say with a deferential bowing of my chin, closing my eyes. Welcome. He enters alone and takes a couple minutes to inspect my space. Then he gets the lady who arrives with another bodyguard, equally huge, though differently distributed in the realm of body mass. If the first guy is a pickup truck on its end, this guy is more of an anaconda anaconda digesting a hippo his head is little bald and pointed and he is quite wide through the middle embers is beside him a study in the disease that is charisma she absolutely (laughs) shines you would have to be made of cigarette butts and styrofoam to ignore her draw her soft lips reflexively part into a large smile and her eyes dance this is some kennedy level chemical manipulation (laughs) she's wearing a cream colored peasant blouse suede shorts and matching booties Why would you wear anything but sweatpants when you're not performing or going out to dinner? Sweatpants are the only real way for your body to be free. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, there's a seam up your vagina, a wrinkle is digging into your armpit, and your boobs hanging out at a horrible angle or grotesquely emphasized by a distortion, making you look pornographically available when you don't want to (laughs) be. To avoid all of that, you have to yank and pull and arrange your dumb outfit every minute. Which no one can honestly say they want to do. I guess the overall comforts of being rich could make minor inconveniences like an ill-fitting shirt or pants drifting north less of a bother. Who knows what those people think beyond I better marry someone of my class. And <laughs> my siblings and I all went to prestigious universities and are now doing important work. Do I think there are rich people who live without a hole inside, inside themselves? Probability tells me there must be, but popular evidence begs to differ. <laughs> I brought you a little gift bag, Ember says, handing me a shiny black bag. Oh, wow, you didn't need to do that that, I sputter. Don't worry about it, girl, she says, and starts looking around my display on the table. She pulls off lids, inhales, murmurs approvingly. I dig through my gift bag, and there are little soaps, the jar of face cream, a bottle of perfume, and a gift certificate to a massage place, which pretty much cements that I'll come down here anytime she wants me to. (laughs) I take a deep breath and launch into my spiel. Okay, so I have a range of products here that can do things like treat anxiety, help you sleep, make your mind sharp, make you... I pause because I loathe the word horny, but I can't think of any other word that has that meaning. Make you, like, want to screw. I have salves for aching muscles and some stuff that's really good for period cramps. I have tampons that are soaked in CBD that really make your cramps go away. She picks up every little jar, and I give her samples of several kinds. The names of these strains are generally predictable hippie riffs. Ben and Gary, Wavy Lady, Purple phase, (laughs) NutriBrain. Do I think this lady's cute? I do. But I can't decide if it carries a sexual note to it. Like sometimes I just want to have sex with a lady and I think it's an animal thing more than a monogamous love thing. It just seems fun to roll around with a woman who's kind of like me in the gender way. A couple of broomsticks with wigs on them tumbling around in bed. (laughs) Why do people have sex anyway? I feel my body want it, but my mind is not strongly pulled in any way beyond what feels like curiosity. What will it be like to be naked next to this person? Will we make fun of anything? Will we like the same stuff? What gross moles does she have? What's her vagina doing? <laughs> well, I go in thinking I'm casual, then be so in love I can't get my life together without this woman I thought I was only boning. <laughs> I went to my friend Steve's wedding a few years ago. He's from Texas. I wore, I wore a cute sundress, or kind of cute. It looked so like it was made of someone's bold curtain choice, I guess, like in Sound of Music. The dress was black and white I walked into the bathroom And lots of blonde Texan ladies Were gathered around the mirror Fixing their makeup I walked in and they looked at me And then one of them exclaimed Oh my god, you're so pretty And I won't deny it It made me feel good Then I had a bunch of ladies around me Just fawning and being sweet In an utterly confusing But deeply enjoyable way I wanted us all to have sex (laughs) To get in bed with our hair and our legs And fuck each other Bat boobs and giggle I was surprised for this to become one of my sexual fantasies. Before this moment, I would have considered that some shallow bullshit, but now I understand it as shallow perfection. <laughs> I had a girlfriend at that time, and she loved bringing up the Texas cheerleaders. I don't know if they were actually cheerleaders, but I took that erotic liberty to get me going. It really worked. It made me uncomfortable, to be honest, and about liking those ladies. It just felt so normal, so expected. can I have a thing about a bunch of wicked bitches? No. Deep down, I'm just a basic idiot. Embers buys a, bar of mus- a jar of mus- muscle salve, a bunch of sativa hybrid gummies and two ounces of four different kinds of weed I'm carrying. I entertain sometimes she says. Cool, I say. I text my brother in code to let him know what I sold. Holy fuck dude, you're killing he writes back. I'm happy. I eat a brownie and watch episodes of 48 Hours in Bed until I fall asleep.
0: Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. Um, that was amazing Tara I don't feel like you're much of like a weed person like how did you know all that about weed when did you do weed research I did do weed research what did you do
1: I talked to um, uh, some of my friends who are growers and brokers and stuff like that like at one point I talked to my friend and I would do a thing where I'd like meet her in a restaurant and it seemed like she, like, kind of like all like my friends who were hookers who were like, sometimes, remember how Kirk used to have to unload his stories yeah. after he'd have like weird tricks and stuff? He'd have to just like call and talk about what happened. And I felt like my friend had to, just really wanted to tell these fucking stories because she was just walking around carrying this stuff around. So one time, when we got together, I was like, there must be celebrity weed dealers, right? And she was like, oh yeah oh absolutely we deal to you know whatever people and I was like cool so I just asked her a bunch of different and I had way more research than went into the book so I was kind of bummed I couldn't like dork out about that but you know it didn't it didn't serve the story so I could you have, to, you have I would to kill your darling
0: that. sometimes yeah yeah you, know? you really do you really do yeah do they really have C- CBD oil tampons is that a real thing <laughs> Everyone's like, I'm wearing one right now. Yeah. All right. Yeah, cool. yeah. And they are supposed to be extremely good for cramps. Wow. Let's all take I one. <laughs> um, does any of do any of you have questions for Tara Jepson?
1: About 44 years old, Scorpio. Who's
0: next? <laughs> Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I, I mean, I have more. I won't let this get too awkward. But I thought, yes. Um, Who are some of your inspirational? Answers that's what I was going to ask her too this oh, is, God, great. You guys this is, is great. great I really love
1: uh, Jennifer Egan
0: I really love Cookie
1: Mueller I, re- uh, I have my sort of usual list of like our friend Justin Chin was an incredible poet who I love James Baldwin everybody says that but you know what? it's true so I'm going to say it anyway um,
0: uh, uh, I gotta, those are some good that's a good place to start yeah. yeah. What about like you're such a you're such a, like a reader and you're also such like a movie watcher and a TV watcher like you're really you really partake of culture you know what are I love um, stories you know what I mean <laughs> like, like, you're a real lover of stories I think people are interesting you like podcasts I do okay so what like what are what are some movies that you feel like kind of jazzed about right now. I'm. I. I mean,
1: Moonlight. See, that's kind of like saying James Baldwin thing. No, but everybody loves it. But that's the, a legit. It's so beautiful. Um, I like all that '70s stuff. Woman Under the Influence. All that. Just people who I like stories. <laughs> Am I saying anything or is it all something I read somewhere? I'm like, I like complicated people. I like people. I like seeing stories about people who are feeling things and who are like acting. I don't know. I listen to a lot of murder podcasts. I listen to a lot of true crime stuff. I don't know why. It's very disgusting. The
0: fly just landed on my nose. God damn it. Um, I think it's rude. What's up with like, why do you think... Okay. I was just at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal uh, Studios, and they were like, while well, I was waiting in some absurdly long line they had. They were just showing, basically, commercials on a big screen to entertain us. And one, they kept showing these commercials for Oxygen, which I believe was a women's network started by Oprah Winfrey, yes? The Oxygen Network? It's being rebranded as the Network for Crime. Really? It's all true crime. And I'm like, what is it about ladies and murder? Like, I feel like because being and like, yeah, I, know, yeah. I know other so many other females who just like yeah. binge watch Forensic These files. are the
1: sentences I like to say about that I feel like because being um, female is so terrifying so much of the time that there's something kind of relieving about listening to and watching murder stuff because you're like see it is fucking scary like, I feel like <laughs> when I watch that stuff it confirms how utterly terrifying and vulnerable you feel and even though like the stories are Horrific and and are someone's terrible story. I mean, I actually have been watching Nightline and seen like my friend's story about my friend's sister. I mean, it's just it's so fucked up. But I really think that there's something a little bit affirming about it. About
0: just yeah yeah because you can feel crazy sometimes when you walk around with the level of like sort of compartmentalized stress and like there's nothing in your vision all day that's suggesting that like you're actually a terrorized person mm-hmm. among other terrorized people so yeah it is i guess I, a is. weird relief like that it is to me yeah yeah
1: because i'm like i don't need to explain anything here we all know that it's fucking fucked up and it's that's someone else is doing the explaining right now mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'm All not right. saying it isn't despicable and used for entertainment it is but it's where I'm at man alright you know what no I mean judgment. so can no you be the Buddha zone. now can you be the spiritual leader and just accept that this is where I'm at
0: <laughs> <laughs> does anyone else have questions yeah
1: uh, okay so speaking from murder I wanted to talk about um, I opened up the book to page 89 and can everybody open their books, their books to page 89 <laughs>
0: skating um, the school and there's
1: no way it's a girl fuck yeah someone also said you skate blah blah it's that I've, had, I've just read a couple pages in, but yeah. I had this conversation, I've been encountering with this conversation, I've been skateboarding for 15 years, yeah. I had this conversation um, ever since people started perceiving me as being a woman, and it's absolutely absurd, these guys, how is your experience as a skateboarder, as a skateboarder from a generation where there were almost no women skateboarders, like, three of like, how do you, like, how did that go into the creation of this character, and, and I'm interested in your yeah. Well, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I started skateboarding at 36 years old. So I haven't actually been... Yeah, yeah. So I'm like late <laughs> adult onset skateboarding. But it's that's what my friend Michelle didn't all her sense. But um, so I think I didn't get that stuff when I was younger. I just notice it sometimes now. And, of course, there is there are a lot more women or... Fe- Do you like it when people call women females? There's a lot more females out there right now. And... Uh, don't you feel so fucked I, when people say that that they're to, all just one finger pfft. but oh. when they call you females I,
0: I had to google the other day why that was bad because I just didn't understand I, I felt just, so just ignorant it feels like
1: a thing like it feels
0: like it feels no it, it was on BuzzFeed a writer on BuzzFeed oh, really, really broke it down with like God. with like, with like <laughs> gifs of like Rihanna flipping the bird and stuff so I really understood have you ever it. shared
1: a thought and then it turned out it was done by BuzzFeed before you said
0: it <laughs> Feels good. Hi, farmer. Looking sharp.
1: <laughs> um, so, uh, um, so my my experience with that is that that there are still a lot of times that I am the only woman in a session, especially if it comes to like skating pools or whatever, and you have like a tiny crew of people um, out. And I do like it when there are other women with me, but. Um, There's just not a lot of women in pool skating. So I do run into it a lot. And I have, like, had fallings out with other people, with, like, guys that I when I was, like, I wish you wouldn't use the word stinky pink. And I wish you wouldn't have to, like, grind over the books. And that it wasn't, like, nonstop beaver jokes the whole fucking time, you know? And that it was kind of like when I used to landscape and go on to... um, construction sites like if I was working with contractors and they would kind of try to make a point when you walked on the, onto the project they are like we don't care that you're here and the way to show that is to make like the grossest jokes about women's bodies humanly possible and you're just like you can also just do your fucking job and leave me alone so anyway question? Uh, kind of yeah okay yes yeah anecdotes
0: yeah yes would anyone else like to solicit an anecdote from Tara? <laughs> yeah. yes. I was going to ask you, like,
1: I'll give you, like, the tame, for, or, like, I was going to ask you, like, do you have any, like, writing rituals or, like, things that you do when you set yourself down and you're like, I'm going to make work today? Mm-hmm. I, my real question is, how do you, how do you make work when you're going through a really difficult time? Um... Well, it's happened in different ways. Sometimes work is a refuge. Like years ago, after my brother died, my friend Beth and I, who I have written with a a lot, wrote a short film. And it was like every time she came over, I knew I was just going to have like a few hours of just laughing, and it felt amazing. It was a real gift. Um, I find lately, like I have a a stand-up show next week on the thirteenth.
0: You guys, come out to the Virgil, okay? Go see Tar do stand-up. It's so fucking. It'll be funny. funny as you might imagine. But mm, the the thing is, though,
1: that, that it's actually kind of hard to write right now because I'm in an anxiety attack most parts of most days because the news is so terrible. And I'm just that kind of person. Like, I'm permeable that way. I don't have a... Or maybe everyone... I don't know. I'm the uniqueness of being a feeling person. Not really, right? But I, I just... So I'm having a hard time writing some of that stuff right now. And maybe comedy is more... Like, I would have an easier time right now working on, like, a, a pilot or something. I could write other stuff. But comedy... I don't know if it's the comedy is more personal or whatever the fuck it is, but um, I can usually write kind of any time I find. It's a relief. I like to light candles sometimes. <laughs> draw a bath. Just kidding. I never draw a bath. But I'll just light candles and, and like make a cup of coffee. I don't have any particular ritual and I don't have any kind of schedule to it. I will just always be writing because I'll always be doing something
0: creative, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Tara, in addition to writing this novel, you know, she writes pilots. She writes screenplays. She writes per- for performance. She's done like shows her writing with um beth Beth Lisick. they do like a lot of sketch comedy they've done like you know two two people shows um she has comedy she writes stand-up like what is there anything in that that you feel like the most affinity towards or is it all sort of like one big stew i really love doing all that but i think that this book is the distillation
1: of what of of my favorite combination of Comedy, and I like deep emotional stuff, I really do, and I feel like right now, obviously we need comedy, people need relief and stuff, and there 's a part of me that just like i don 't know i don 't always feel I feel comfortable putting comedy out in the world i don 't always feel like there 's as much room to put out um, more emotional stuff or i don 't always know what yeah. the place is for that. Even though I really like writing that stuff, like if I could just you know pull up—I don't want to give anything away—but if I could pull up and read like the most emotionally tense intense parts of this book when I did readings, I totally would.
0: You can do that. Do you think so? I do. I do think you can do that because this isn't a comedy jam. You know what Mm -hmm, I mean? It mm -hmm. is literature, and so I think people show up ready to accept whatever. Emotion, You know, most books, I think, contain, like, a range of emotions. So, I think yeah. everyone's just ready for whatever you're going to lay down. Hmm. Yeah.
1: I know that when I see other people, I appreciate it when they read more, like, intense or poetic elements of what they've written. But yeah. for some reason, I think because I just always want to, like, entertain, I have that
0: um, compulsion. I understand that. I do, too. I think that there's something about... You he- when when you read something funny the audience laughs and you know they're with you and yeah. if you're reading something heavy people are quiet and yeah. it just you, you get like increasingly alienated the deeper you get into it and then you have an existential crisis yeah, even though everyone's true. probably is a, every bit as engaged as when right. you're reading something funny right. yeah. but you just have to like know that when you get into it and be like gonna lay a big bummer on them yeah. and we're all gonna be together and it's gonna be okay
1: I always hope there's something relieving about writing as truthfully as I possibly can about an intense emotional situation like to me I hope hope that it alleviates some amount of anxiety. I hope that it gives words to a kind of feeling so that there's some amount of relief. Like I feel like the overall thing that I would like to do with any performance or thing that I ever do is give some amount of relief to people because
0: that's how I am. Yes. (laughs) And that's how your book is. And so like a dog, here it is. And it's got all the hilarity that you heard tonight. Plus it's got all this depth and pathos and Pain and, and beautiful thoughtfulness that Tara is alluding to so you should buy at least one copy for yourself, you should buy a copy also for somebody in your life maybe who's like a homosexual you should buy a copy for someone who's maybe like a skateboarder, you should maybe buy a, cof- a copy for someone who like is, is like a stand-up comedian or maybe like should be a stand-up comedian it's a very slim volume, like it's, a funny it's almost a Neruda
1: you can, <laughs> keep, you can
0: you can balance a table with it <laughs> Um, please clap for Tara Jepson for writing this great book and being so awesome and your next thank you for being here thank you so 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 much for. and your next appearance will be at The Virgil oh, on, the yeah, 13th. on the 13th alright that's awesome and um What else? Anything else? I think just San Francisco after
1: that, October 25th and 27th. Okay. Yeah. All right. At City Lights and then at the Unity Skate Shop in the East Bay in Oakland. Whoa! Awesome. Thank you very
0: much, Skylight. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Skylight.
1: You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by,
0: and we hope to see you soon.